And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commended you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Father in heaven, I, uh, I thank you for each and every person who is here with us this evening. I pray that uh, it would not be my uh, words that would be spoken tonight, but they would be yours, that I would decrease so that you might increase. And honestly, God, that you would just speak words of hope and beauty and love and grace because they come from you and that's what you speak because that's who you are. So Father, please uh, speak words that will bring comfort to, uh, to weary and tired hearts and that you would uh, just show love and kindness to your people here. Uh, and I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, I am going to start this message with a confession that many of you would hope to not hear from any pastor or person preaching a sermon. Are you ready? So I am a failed evangelist. I am. I've been a Christian for a little over, geez, probably close to 15 years at this point. And uh, the church that I did a lot of growing in as a teenager really placed a strong emphasis on preaching the gospel. And so I was preaching the gospel to like every person that I knew. It was oftentimes in very, very heavy handed, kind of regrettable ways. And to my knowledge, to my knowledge, you know, the Lord may have a different story when I step to the other side, but to my knowledge, I don't know of anyone has, because of my message, come to faith in believing in Jesus. I have this genuine, super, super deep desire as a pastor that of the many people in my life who for many years I've loved, cared for, spoken hope and good news to, that I, like, I pray for the day when I would have the privilege to baptize someone that I was able to bring to the faith. And yet that day has not come. So... As we open this message of sharing the faith, preaching the gospel, just know that you are hearing from uh, the, the chief of sinners, <laughs> insisting that there is still a message of hope to be heard in the midst of all of this. Um, if I, if I talk about my, my history of preaching the gospel, I would say, uh, you know, it started with my parents probably. Um, this was all when I was a teenager, probably 16 or 17. Uh, it's pretty heavy handed, like I said. My mom found it a little bit of a a little bit of a turnoff that I was insisting so hard. My dad was mostly on board with it until I started really preaching justification through faith alone that I think he just got thrown off. Um, I had a friend at work, a place I used to work, who told me that she really felt that God was drawing her to him. And so I said, this is amazing. And I wrote down a passage from scripture that I told her she should go home and read and then just kind of see what happens. And she came back the next day and she said she felt nothing. And then she moved away and I never talked to her again. Um, I, I as, as the chief of sinners, I used to use those fake $100 bills 
and I would give them out to servers. You know, are you guys familiar? The fake, hun- oh, dude, they're the worst thing. There, there are fake $100 bills that you're told to leave on tables when you're like at a restaurant. And it looks like 100, which of course would excite anybody. And then they look at it and it says, uh, something like, what's the real million dollar question? Do you know who Jesus is? And then it's just a message with no uh, currency value, as far as I'm aware. Uh, and I used to leave those all the time. So yeah, I, I feel like an imposter leaving this me- leading this message tonight because uh, these are all things I did in the past. I, I definitely have different approaches when it comes to sharing the faith these days. But uh, you know, as I always say, every saint's got a past, every sinner's got a future. So here we go. Um, so let's, let's find ourselves in this text. So the message that, uh, or the text that Fiona read for us tonight was pretty popular, probably one of Jesus's most famous statements, and it's what has been known throughout church history as the Great Commission. And what we're seeing in this text is this man named Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, and he's come down to earth He's taught this message of hope and love, and he's taught about how there could one day be reconciliation between broken humanity and the God who loves and yearns for his people. And at the end of his life, Jesus was killed by the very people that he came to save, and he famously rose again from the grave. He resurrected three days later, shining in in glory, still with scars in his hands, And now we find ourselves at the point in the text that Fiona read from. He's speaking to his disciples, his closest friends that he walked with for about three years. And he's saying, you know, exactly what what we read. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go. Jeez Louise. I'm supposed to have my little passage here. I'm sorry, you guys. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. So we're going to break this down into three different passages here. And I'm going to try to knock it lost in my notes again. Here's our first one. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is how Jesus kind of starts off his pitch. And it really is meant to bring context to this moment. Now, if you're familiar at all with Christianity, you know that one of the most significant symbols that Christians have used for a very long time is the cross. And Jesus very famously died at the hands of the cross. He was crucified in a you know, a manner of execution that was meant to cause excruciating pain. Now, the interesting thing about this this crucifixion that Jesus experienced was that when he was being crucified, this was not just a man who was put up to die. We believe that Jesus, at the moment of his crucifixion, 
was experiencing something beyond the physical pain that was evident to him. We believe that Jesus was carrying not just his own weight as he died, but he was carrying the spiritual, literal weight of sin and evil of the world that he was coming to save. We also believe that as Jesus was being killed, he was literally fighting a battle with the spiritual forces of evil. Like this conjures up some kind of strange mythology, but this is literally what we believe about Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was fighting something when he was being killed. And when he resurrected and came back from the grave, he was standing up and saying, I proclaim victory over this thing that I've fought. So when Jesus says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus is saying, this world belongs to me. This lost creation, this broken world and all of the people in it, these people belong to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's conquered the powers of evil and the powers of Satan. And as a result, he is victorious. And as the victor, he receives the spoils. And the good news is, Jesus isn't a tyrant that we have to be afraid of. If any other worldly or spiritual force was claiming power, claiming to own the world, we'd reasonably be a little intimidated by that. But Jesus isn't coming to, you know, to enslave or to break down or to exert authority that he doesn't have naturally. Jesus is actually coming not to be like the tyrants that haunt and torture us, but to, but to take those people down instead, to take those spiritual tyrants down instead. Just like the story that we mentioned when we were talking to the kids in the kids' catechism, Jesus is cleaning house. Jesus is taking back what was lost. And he's not just cleaning kitchens and fixing basketball courts. Jesus is coming to claim the lost and the broken, the sinful, the evil, the, the wealthy, the poor, the insiders, the outsiders, the Jews, the non-Jews. Jesus is coming back to take his people. He's coming to heal the world of its broken systems and its people of their broken hearts. This is Simba from The Lion King. He's been off, well, actually, no, the, the, the analogy's not perfect because Jesus wasn't just kicking it with a warthog and, what, meerkat? Yeah, he was, uh, but, but it's the story of Simba that he's coming back to Pride Rock to take the throne that is his and to bring his kingdom back into control and to take care of it. Jesus, like any good father, is calling his house back to order. He's calling his children to return home. He is supporting and helping and caring for his children with their present day struggles while also preparing a place for them where they won't know the pains of today. And so Jesus is sitting there before his disciples. He's sharing that the evil age has passed away. He's sharing that the earth fully belongs to him. And he's giving them this blessing of love and restoration. 
And now Jesus is going to say how this message is going to be shared with the world. And it's going to be shared through those people who have experienced this message firsthand. And so he says, therefore, go. Go out into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and discipling. God has designed it so that his means for calling the world back to him would be through his followers and disciples. Now, there's a couple of disclaimers that I want to make because this is where I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to stay big picture, but I also really do want to give some practical um, pointers here too. We're going to stay here for a while. There's going to be a lot that I want to share. This might be a drinking from a water hose scenario. If it is, I apologize. Drinking from a fire hose is just not very practical, I would say. If I was thirsty, I would much rather go to a water fountain, but I'm going to do what I, what I can to try to condense this. So, First, a couple of disclaimers. Jesus is saying to make disciples, not to make converts. And that is a very important distinction. The idea of winning a convert is just changing somebody's mind. It's just getting someone to sign their name on a petition. To be a disciple of Jesus is not just to check your name by Christian. To be a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process. Jesus doesn't just want people who look at him one time and say, thumbs up, you're my guy, cool. Now I'm going to keep doing all the stuff I was already doing. That's not what Jesus is calling us to do. Because honestly, that's not what Jesus wants. If you're someone who really longs for a relationship from someone, you wouldn't just want that person to just nod and say hello to you one time forever. What you long for is something ongoing, something relational, something genuine, a sharing of authentic self with that person. So if you ever find yourself in a place where there is someone who is saying, uh, uh, Joy, I want to know Jesus better, please don't just, you know, shake their hand, say, praise God, and then write a church on a piece of paper and send them on their way. Take the time to, like, try to actually connect them with a community that's going to seek out their well-being for a very long time. Converts just check their names on a piece of paper. Jesus wants people. So, there's that one. Now, Depending on the background that you come from, whether like we're different types of churches, I've noticed that churches tends to emphasize one of two things when it comes to preaching the gospel. There are those that say, preach the gospel in word, say it with your mouth, say the message, do the thing. And then there's others who say, it's not about preaching the gospel. You just got to live the gospel. And it's both. It is not either or. So the whole, uh, what is the, it's like, a, it's like a quote that they said St. Francis said, but St. Francis didn't even really say, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel without words. Preach the gospel with words. That is the truth. That's where we need to come from. It is a message that needs to be communicated. But if your words are invalidating that, then, you know, it's a bad time. Don't do that. <laughs> 
Okay, second disclaimer. Uh, third one, it is worth acknowledging that just a couple of days before the disciples heard Jesus tell them that he wants them to go out into the world and spread this message of grace, that they saw Jesus get arrested and hightailed it out of there and completely abandoned the dude. So they were all likely carrying this weight of, Jesus, you really want to give me this responsibility? I'm clearly not one of your strongest soldiers. And yet, that didn't stop Jesus from communicating that. So I think a lot of times people get caught up in this, like, I'm really not the sharpest Christian out here, man. Like, I, I'd probably mess up more than I would do any good. It's, it's really not for me to be the kind of person who, who shares my faith with others. And I would say, if Jesus is willing to call, to call people to this, who literally just abandoned him, but who had the humility to come back to him, then, then I think that'll go a long way. So don't, don't get so focused on your own shortcomings that you don't see what God can see through that. That's what I would say. Now, let's get practical. Jesus is talking about making disciples. What the heck are we supposed to do? Now, uh, Andy mentioned when we talked about prayer a few weeks ago that if you have a prayer closet that you just lock yourself in to pray and, you know, connect to the divine, that's beautiful. If you're more of a, I, I pray while I drive around Tucson kind of person, that's beautiful too. If you're like a, I really struggle to pray by myself, so I usually invite my friends to pray with me. These are all home runs. In the same way, there's not just one way to preach the gospel. There's not. There are several ways to do it. Now, there are ways that you shouldn't do it. Um, you know, I already mentioned the, the faulty $100 bill thing, which is more likely to deeply disappoint um, than to actually bring a message of hope. But there are numerous ways to do something like this. Honestly, like, we often love to dunk on street preachers, and don't get me wrong, there are a heck of a lot of lousy street preachers who just yell at people and call them names and then wonder why nobody likes them. But I've also seen street preachers like utilize the forum of what they're doing because it, ex it allows them to express both compassion and love and a heightened sense of urgency. And I do think that street preaching is something that can be done well, even though I also think it takes a lot of discernment, a lot of wisdom. If you're a street preacher, you should probably be called into that and be, have that call be like, overseen by your local church. I don't think anybody should just stand on a box and start yelling at people. But I don't want to just throw it completely out and say that there's no value to it. So there are several ways that we can share our faith. I think there's lots and lots of room to extend creativity. And honestly, it's beautiful to just see how different people use their gifts, their natural God-given gifts, to communicate a message of hope that has deeply affected them with the people around them. So, you know, get creative. God's creative. It's cool. Be cool. All right. Okay. Now, within this point, I want to make a handful of micro points, maybe sub points. Sub points is probably good. Now, here's what I'm going to stay in maybe for, for a little bit, because this is very important. Learn to listen 
for the questions of a longing heart. Learn to listen for the questions of a longing heart. Scripture says that all creation is groaning and waiting for the time of Jesus to come and restore and heal it. All of creation, rocks and trees and mountains are groaning for Jesus to bring them restoration. Picacho Peak is groaning. You don't think a person made in the image of God is not going to have some groaning within them? They do. And what kills me about a lot of experiences, at least personally, that I've had when it comes to sharing the gospel is it's a lot more about talking. Talk, 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 share, share, speak. And it's like learn to listen. Take the time to listen to someone. If you love them, you will listen to them. I think it was Dwight Moody who said something like, when I preach the gospel to someone, it is 95% listening and then 5% speaking. Speaking is still there. Speaking is still present when it's opportune, when it makes sense, when it's wise. But you got to listen. And there are ways in which we will sense the restlessness that people are carrying. It's not hard. But it does take time and intention to listen to, the, to, to, what, to what longings people have. I mean, just look at, just look at, if you honestly want to look at people on a larger scale and see what affects them, watch the news. Like, see what's making headlines. See what's filling up comments pages on Facebook and Instagram. You'll see what people care about pretty darn easily. Like, think about the things that get people incensed. Issues of justice, issues of self-expression, issues of identity. Perfect example, I mentioned justice, you know? Like, it, like we're, we're, there, there was this phase, and I, I think we may have been, we may be out of it a little bit, but it was definitely big in like the, the 90s to like the 2010s, where there was always like some big court case that the entire world was just glued to. Whether it was like O.J. Simpson, whether it was uh, Casey Anthony in Florida, like everyone's just immediately watching this thing. Like you see how grieved people get when they feel like justice isn't carried out. What a beautiful message it is to be able to say, you know, I actually believe that there is a God who is a good and perfect judge. And so I don't actually get crazy pressed about stuff that happens because I do believe in a final judgment. I do believe that, that people are going to get what they deserve and that forgiveness is there for them as well. Like, like you can connect to that longing that they have by just recognizing how the gospel fits in. But you gotta learn to listen to re realize that first. Annie and I were watching this show, um, this cleaning show, um, and uh, it's the, the premise of it was very, it was very, um, what was that show called? Uh, 
That's a, yeah, it's called Swedish death cleaning. It's got a little cursing in it, so I don't know if I can fully endorse it uh, from up here. Um, but uh, it, it was basically like these three Swedes who believe in a high philosophy of cleaning and organizing will come into someone's life and they're like, ah, oh, your house is full of newspaper and you're a hoarder. We're going to clean it and stuff like that. And as they go about cleaning and organizing and decorating and interior designing and stuff, they get to know the person and they're trying to, you know, create this like compassion where you really want to see how excited they get. And the first episode was this woman who was probably in like her late 60s. She uh, used to be, I think, like a, like a dancer um, for some like pretty big stars back in the day on stages. She used to have quite a bit of like, you know, not fame, but proximity to fame. She used to, she really loved the spotlight, but now she's much older. She lives by herself. She doesn't have a partner and she's just like desperately lonely. And Anne and I are watching this show and my heart is just like broken for this lady. Cause like she's got this amazing big personality She's incredibly charismatic. She looks like the friendliest person. She's got that voice that's like tones down a couple notches because she's probably smoked for 40 or 50 years. But like my heart just broke for this lady, honestly, because she reminds me about a lot of women in my family. And, and she's, just, she's just bearing it all in front of this camera that's going to be put on a TV show on Peacock where she talks about how she hasn't felt really loved or cared for in decades. And she really wishes that she had, you know, people to talk to. And she wishes that she had a man in her life who would love her and care for her. And then at the end of the show, they clean her house. And it's like amazing. Wow, they solved everything. Her house is now clean. They organized her, her pantry. And it just, it made me so sad because this woman clearly had like a deeper longing for something more than just even what she recognized. And it's just such a bummer, dude. And I think we can recognize that, that we, with all the money and TV shows and Swedish cleaners, with all of those resources in the world, we can't actually give people what they really deeply long for. We can't, but we can tell them who can. And that's why I'm up here right now. Um, moving on. The gospel spoken will never be louder than the gospel lived out. Let me say that one again too. The gospel spoken will never be louder than the gospel lived out. Now, this one, again, it's, it's super practical, and I, I think everyone is relatively fairly here. Like, you don't have to be perfect to be able to share your faith with someone that you care about. And honestly, you can't be perfect, so it's actually a bad move to pretend that you are as you're telling someone about someone who is legitimately perfect. However... You shouldn't broadcast your crumminess as a person in a big, tremendous way. If you've got flaws, and we all do, 
You should be able to walk in love and humility with this person. I'll just give you a, a basic example. You've got an anger problem. You've got a buddy you love who you want to follow Jesus. You guys get into an argument. You blow up. You say things you shouldn't say. You call them out of their name, all that stuff. As a believer who is living out the gospel that you are desperate, that you are hoping that they will one day turn to, don't just brush by that. The gospel calling for us is to acknowledge our sin and to be transparent about it. So let the fruit of your gospel show that you don't just believe in being kind, but that you're also willing to acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness when you're not. That will go a very long way with the people that we're called to speak to. And honestly, it's just biblical. It's just what we're supposed to do as Christians. You don't need to be perfect. You can't be if you want to be. But you do need to be honest. You do need to be humble. You do need to present yourself, not just as who you are, but even who you are in the light of God, as someone in need of mercy, as they will hopefully one day be as well. And here's my last little point before we get to our last actual point. And this is a, a quote from uh, my good friend Rod, a, a pastor in town who's been discipling me and uh, Andy and Cruz and a couple other guys for a long time. He says this. He says, the, the path to Jesus is 75 steps long and you might just be steps 25 to 28. Like you never actually know what role you're taking in helping lead someone to Jesus. So stay encouraged, even when things look frustrating. You know, I mentioned earlier that, I, that one of my big convictions when I was a, a teenager was, I, I was like, I gotta save my parents. I gotta bring the gospel to my parents. It turns out that after a lot of awkward, forced, kind of ham-fisted conversations, the person who helped my dad come to a better place with Jesus it wasn't me. It was a combination of life circumstances and a friend from the gym and an old military buddy. It wasn't me. It didn't need to be me. And I think this is important because I see a lot of Christians kind of fall into this like almost Messiah complex. Like we're so desperate to be steps one through 75. And I like, uh, let me tell you something that's either going to be heartbreaking or encouraging. Jesus doesn't need you that much. He doesn't. I think the dude who wrote the, 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 the coding of the universe needs you to be everything for another person. He doesn't need you to be everything for anybody. You can't be everything for yourself. So yeah, take that with courage. I mean, I, uh, this is one of my favorite random stories. I, uh, when, uh, when I was in college at the heights of my argumentativeness, just a terrible, terrible person. I don't think anyone in this room has met me when I was in college, which praise the Lord for. I don't think so. If I, if you, oh, Bobby, shoot. Yeah, he knows. This is why we weren't friends the first couple of years, dude. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Gosh. You know, I was going to say something, but it would be on the recording for years, Bobby. And I won't do that to you. He's got a family. Once this recording's off, though. Whoo, just kidding. Love you, Bobby. Jerk. Um, 
No, I, I, uh, when I was in this class, it was a class on, uh, on Christianity, which did not mean that it was a pro-Christianity class. And there was a dude in it whose name was Paul. And Paul had like super long hair and like tats. And he was just like the textbook angry atheist dude who just wanted to take every opportunity, just rip Christianity to shreds, just talk about all the inconsistencies, just, you know, just completely take it apart. And so me and him are like sparring partners. Every class, he says something about like, oh, well, Christians love slavery. And I'm like, that's not what kind of slavery it was in the Bible, man. And we're just going back and forth like this. And I'm like, well, Jesus, I did everything I could with Paul. I really tried to argue him back into the faith. And then years ago, I meet Paul, and he's a totally different dude. He's telling me that he's not only a Christian, but he's pursuing ministry. And why is he pursuing Christianity, you ask? Was it because of the arguments and all the times I tried to put him down in class? No, he was camping in the New Mexico wilderness and had a profound vision of God and was perfectly convicted that God was calling him to himself. That's like cheating. (laughs) Why should I even bother if stuff like that happens? But that's the beauty of it, right? God did not need me to do that. And honestly, I I pray. I pray in some tiny microscopic way that maybe I was steps three through four and a half of the 75-step process that led this dude to Jesus. But nevertheless, I'm tremendously grateful, tremendously grateful, because ultimately it's not about me boosting my evangelism stats. It's, I I love that Paul is loved by Jesus in in a richer way. So that leads me to the, to the question that I kind of started this thing with, which was when we have this call over our lives, but we also have the promise that Jesus gave us that we'd be rejected just as he was rejected, how do we stay encouraged in something like that? Is there a way to actually be sustained? Or are we just raking leaves on a windy day? And that leads us to our last point, where Jesus said, I will be with you all the days until the end of the age. I think we should be deeply comforted by this promise, because it is what Jesus is giving us. It's a promise. I think often what we forget when we long for people to meet Jesus as the great lover of their souls is that faith is a miracle. Faith is like any kind of life. It's a miracle. For faith to be born in human hearts, it's not just for somebody to put the pieces together. It's literally for life to be breathed where there is currently only death. So I don't think we need to boost ourselves into hyperdrive and try to become, you know, the best evangelists in the world if we're feeling discouraged. I think if we're feeling discouraged, we should drive ourselves to actually deeper prayer, but most importantly, to remember that Christ is with us in the midst of this. Jesus didn't send us out on a solo mission. He never does. He's always with us. See, the beauty is that 
you know, I, I introduced myself as a failed evangelist. And yeah, I do feel that way at times. And I'll be honest, like I, I see sometimes uh, enough to make me mourn that, the, that there are a lot of people, dozens of people in my life who I've loved and cared for for a really long time who, to my knowledge, and again, I don't know, have not really made that, that respond to Jesus' call yet. But I don't see my failure as if I'm standing in this graveyard of dead plants. In fact, I feel like I am actually surrounded by all these pots filled with soil and seeds and water. And I have the privilege to pray with Jesus standing right next to me. I have the privilege to pray for these people that I love. And Jesus is with me. And I really feel that. And honestly, he's, he's with you too. Whether you're a, a master evangelist, just, just knocking back baptisms week to week, or if you're like me, thinking back to all of your terrible, cringy tactics from your past, or honestly, if you're just petrified about the idea of telling someone about your faith, Jesus is still with you, even to the end of the age. You know, despite my theological disagreements with Roman Catholics, there's something that I really do admire about what they say when someone joins the church and puts faith in Jesus. They don't say, praise God, man. They don't say, yahoo. They say, welcome home. Like, welcome back. There is a home that deep down all of us are longing for, like we mentioned, all of us groaning. And it's a home that the Holy Father is calling us back to. And it's a home that we all experience in glimpses on earth, but it's a home that God is preparing for us to experience in its fullness in a time to come. And in that time, Jesus will fully extend out his arms and say, the heavens and the earth are mine and everything in them belongs to me. And I am finally claiming them completely to experience my love perfectly. So I think when we look at those we love, we should remember that there are beautiful promises of home for them too. And we should think of the God who's waiting for them. I want to end with this uh, quote from Henry Nouwen. He says, going home is a lifelong journey. There are always parts of ourselves that wander off in dissipation or get stuck in resentment. Before we know it, we're lost in lustful fantasies or angry ruminations. Our night dreams and daydreams often remind us of our lostness. Spiritual disciplines such as praying, fasting, and caring are ways to help us return home. As we walk home, we often realize how long the way is. But let us not be discouraged. Jesus walks with us and speaks to us on the road. When we listen carefully, we discover that we are already home while on the way. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we thank you for the beautiful home that you've given us here, even though it's just a taste. 
and we thank you for the home that you're preparing for us. God, we know that you long for the people of this world to be reconciled to you. And as you are using your church, as you have for 2,000 years, would you use us too, not as a chore, not as a task, but as an expression of the great love that you feel for this world, as a way of even reminding ourselves how much compassion and care and love we are receiving from you day after day after day. Would you please encourage us? And Lord, for the people that we love, for every beloved person of all the people in this room, family, friends, coworkers, children, nephews, cousins, uh, old classmates, whoever, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working in them and that they would be brought back to you and quickly, God, so they don't miss another moment of that separation, Lord. Um, yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, team. As we, uh, as we move to the next part of our service, there's a couple other things I want to just mention. Um, actually, I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, we're going to respond in this to, uh, we're going to respond to this message in three ways, three ways of worship. Uh, the first is the Lord's Supper, which I'll kind of circle back to. Uh, the second is giving, which, uh, you know, we, we see as not just this like kind of compulsory, obligatory thing that we do, but it's genuinely a response to God's generosity to us. We're recognizing that throughout our lives in many ways, God is giving us resources, means to survive, means to enjoy our lives, but by giving, we are giving it back to him in response to his generosity. We are worshiping in response to the generosity that he is giving us. It's not meant to be out of fear. It's not meant to be out of self-protection, but it should be a joyous act full of gratitude and thanksgiving. So we would like for, uh, to call anyone to give uh, to our church, and uh, that would be super cool. And uh, we're also going to respond to uh, this by musical worship, which Mike is going to lead us in as well. A couple things I want to just throw out there. One is that uh, if, you, if you really look at yourself and if you really examine your heart and your action and your thoughts, you're probably thinking to yourself, there is absolutely no way that I love the people in my life as much as I should. There is no way that I am preaching or sharing my faith as well or as often as I should. And if and if I needed to climb the rungs of my good deeds to get back into favor with God, you would find yourself about three and a half feet off the ground. The good news and what we remember through the Lord's Supper is that Jesus does not require us to save ourselves because we were wholly incapable of doing so. Out of his love and grace and compassion, he made the decision to not just come to earth, but to actually suffer tremendously on our behalf so that we could be renewed into beings that would follow him and love him and try to help him restore beauty back to a fallen world. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering that. 
and we're receiving the body and blood of Jesus as a blessing to us that he wants us to be nourished with. So I would encourage anyone, believer, um, maybe someone just putting a little bit of faith in Jesus for the first time, I would encourage you to join us here as well. And, uh, and also, and I'll talk more about this during, during announcements, but I'd really love to kind of funnel this, this meeting or this discussion that we just had into Alpha, like Alpha is something that we're going to be doing in a couple of months. It's going to be a fantastic opportunity to provide a very low pressure chance for us to bring people that we love who are open to discussing and hearing about the faith into a place with food and conversation. And we really want to have all hands on deck with that. So I'd really encourage you to join the many of us who are already praying about it and then considering what your involvement could look like because we, we really want this whole church to be, to be present with that. We really want that to make, a, make an impact for some people. Um, so that's that. I'm going to pray uh, to open us into a time of confession. We're going to have two minutes of complete silence where you're going to be able to just kind of respond to God in whatever ways you feel the Holy Spirit prompting you, uh, particularly in means of confession. But if there's something else that you feel like you just need to connect with God over, please do so. So uh, I'm going to pray. We'll have two minutes for you guys. Mike will come back up and lead us in some worship. You can receive the Lord's Supper. And... Uh, We'll keep moving and grooving. So, yeah, let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for, uh, for just the love and kindness that you share with us. God, um, we know that we are not up to par of where we should be. There are people in our lives that we should love more than we do, that we should show, show more kindness than we do. We know that there are many areas of our lives where we have fallen short, and that's a bummer. And we, rather than just kind of skirting these things or brushing them under the rug, we want to take the time to be able to recognize, God, show us the things that we should have done that we didn't do. Show us the things that we didn't do, that we shouldn't have done that we did do. And uh, help us to walk in repentance. And I pray that as we um, take the, ourselves into the vulnerable place of confessing our sins, that you protect us from any uh, evil attacks of shame and of guilt, but rather we remember your word that says that if we are faithful to confess, you are faithful to forgive and to wash us clean of our sins and to remember them no more. And so, Lord, please allow us to experience your forgiveness as we try to, uh, to confess our sins to you, Lord. So please help us.